Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. At an isolated log cabin in the harsh wilderness of Indiana, circa 1817, the rhythms of love, tragedy, and daily hardship of life on the developing frontier shaped one of our nation's greatest heroes, Abraham Lincoln. Abe is a thoughtful, quiet boy who spends his days at the side of his beloved mother while learning to work the land from his stern father. When illness takes his mother, Abe's new guardian angel comes in the form of a new stepmother, who sees the potential in the boy and pushes him to his further education. We're joined today on Film School by the director and writer of this wonderful, beautiful new film, The Better Angels. A.J. Edwards is joining us today. A.J., welcome to Film School. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. I am absolutely blown away by the look of this film. It's just a just a beautiful film to look at, and uh, what a touching story is being told here. Tell me a little bit about how you, how you came to the story. Um, we seem to know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, but we seem to know about him from a certain point in his life moving forward. Tell us a little bit about how this story uh, came to you and your decision to move forward to make a film out of it. This part of the Lincoln biography is too often overlooked. People know the Kentucky log cabin, the place of his birth. They know his Illinois years as a clerk and an attorney, and then, of course, the presidency. But uh, Hoosiers are definitely upset when uh, the entire decade or so in Indiana is forgotten. And it was uh, integral to understanding his successes later in life. Uh, These were formative years, ones that shaped him. They were filled with despair, loss, grief, and death. And then, as you said in your description, there's much hope and joy in the form of his stepmother, who is really a light to him in a lot of darkness. Uh huh. Okay. And um, so, wh- how? What's the source material for this? Where Where did you find um, find the film source material? Um, the main source would be this interview with his cousin Dennis Hanks that was taken late in life uh, when when the man was very old, long after Lincoln's death. It's an out-of-print out of text called The Boyhood of Lincoln uh, by Eleanor Atkinson. She's a journalist who took it upon herself to get this story. There's also Benjamin Thomas's Abraham Lincoln, Carl Sandburg's The Prairie Years, mm-hmm. our historical consultant's work, well, William Bartell, The Greatest Living Lincoln Youth Scholar, and about 10 or so other books that I won't name here on your show. Okay. So how long did it take you to sort of piece all these different uh, accounts of Abraham Lincoln's early life into a script? Was that a long process for you? It was about a year and a half from the conception of the film through the treatment uh, to the finalization of the screenplay. And... um, Definitely, it was based on so many of these uh, both old and modern texts because our aim was to be as historically authentic as possible, to have as little invention as necessary, except where it is maybe in the psychology or the kind of intimate details of each character. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and this film is filled with those moments. Uh, it is it is an intimate film to to be sure. Uh, much of your your camera work is very uh, up close and in in into the uh, watching the characters and their interaction with one another. Uh, it's shot in black and white, which uh, I think is a, a wonderful choice. I think it works beautifully for this film. Was what went into your decision to uh, make this a black and white film? I had wanted to shoot it in black and white from the very start. Uh, Lincoln lives in black and white. That's how we all know him through lovely portraits by Matthew Brady, who's the great Civil War photographer. Um, I think that the starkness and austerity it brings to the story is reminiscent of Bresson or Dreyer or Statue and that was a first step in removing this kind of frontier life romanticism that makes us think of Disneyland or Little House on the Prairie or Davy Crockett. And as this film has coonskin caps and, mm-hmm. and cabins and muskets, it's important to get rid of that uh, and instead show how incredibly severe and brutal these times were and uh, the hard living it demanded. And um, aesthetically, you know, that we were inspired by Maisel's Brothers documentary shooting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the close-ups and the intimacy of it. Uh, and um, so that was that was the goal. Yeah, and, and, and mission accomplished in terms of getting us inside characters because uh, in um, The Better Angels there isn't a lot of dialogue, I, I, and it's very important for us as a, as a viewer, it was for me, to see the expression on the faces of these different people uh, and to to in order to understand better w- where they were in their in their ro- in this uh, story, and you're absolutely right. We have grown accustomed to a very romanticized version of what prairie life was wa- was like, and to see it in the most stark terms is to help give us a window into some of these characters uh, and their and their actions. I think, particularly, I think of uh, uh, Jason Clark's uh, Tom Lincoln in your film uh, comes across as a man who's who's very harsh, but it's his, it's also a lot to do with the environment he grew in. For sure, yeah. It, uh, too often we put a modern lens on our perspective of viewing uh, historical figures, and one could easily do that with Abraham's father, Thomas, um, they could paint him with, with one color, a harsh, abusive, uneducated dad. But that's not so, and Jason brings the complexity and duality that's required of the part. That's immediately what attracted me to him during casting, was his sympathy for Thomas and his understanding of what the role required to keep it from caricature and uh, cliché. Um, and I certainly, I think he, I think he brilliantly accomplished the task and, the cast and their performances are probably the greatest point of pride in the picture for me because they all did such perfect work. They did. They were, uh, yes, across the board. Everyone in the film is wonderful. I really, truly just did a great job. And, I, you know, as we talk about this, the idea that you're living in this environment, there isn't a, there isn't a lot of time for, 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 for frivolity. The, really, the, the, the prime motive in in life is survival. I think we've, we lose sight of that, that it wasn't just a matter of living in these um, remote areas where it was a matter of survival. You, you need to, to do the things you did in order just to make sure that your family was going to make it. 
Right, and in and and when when one did survive, they had a uh, interior feeling that they had been preserved for something. Yeah. These were religious times, yeah. uh, one steeped in Calvinism and predestination, and as siblings would uh, fall ill and die, or be lost from Indian attacks or what have you, as uh, Abraham's own father died from. You know, when you when you did live to be fifteen, sixteen years old, you suddenly felt bound for something. You had a greater sense of fate or destiny, at least greater than than maybe the ones that we have today. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, hopefully the feeling of being bound for something much larger than yourself is what's at the end of the picture. And we all know where the story goes once the film ends. It goes to the top hat, the White House, the Civil War that we all study yeah. from grade school. And so, um, uh, yeah, fate and destiny is at the forefront, hopefully, throughout the picture. Well, again, knowing just from the first couple of minutes, knowing this is a story about Abraham Lincoln that is just planted right in the middle of your brain that, okay, we know where, he, as you said, we know where he's going to end up. How does he get there? And um, it's just, uh, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with A.J. Edwards. He's the writer and director of the film um, The Better Angels, a story of the early, very early years of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, you're currently, as we speak to you, you're in New York City. Uh, you're going to be at a question and answer tonight at the Sun Sunshine Theaters. And That's you, right. Okay. And it's opening here in L.A. The picture opens up at the New Art today. Right. right. And I was going to say that it opens here in Los Angeles at the New Art Theater, uh, one of the uh, the best theaters in Los Angeles, uh, right there off the 405 and Santa Monica Boulevard. So uh, please check that out. Um, that I the, one of the parts of this story uh, in The Better Angels that one of the aspects of Abraham Lincoln's life, and he's, he talked about it, uh, we know of him, his, uh, he, he talked openly about the influence that his mother had on him and uh, in his life. Um, I think it's just such a wonderful part of the story and, and that, to see the role that women have played, that played in Abraham Lincoln's life and the way that they were able to nurture him, and to the greater extent, the way that they were able to push, in many very important ways, human progress forward by their the nature of the way that they they're nurturing. I think that that's such an unspoken part of the development of humankind, and as we moved into these through these frontier lands, but even today, but still more most importantly for for our country and for the world, that women facilitate. These uh, our ability to move beyond mere survival. Is that a fair statement? Well, certainly. Yeah, I think the thesis of the film, the heart of it, is that Lincoln was a reflection of his mother's greatness. And uh, certainly uh, his own uh, greatness was, was partly God-given. It was based on his own discipline and, and insistence on bettering himself. But it was also uh, on this notion that it takes a village to raise a child, and he became a mirror to his terrific teachers that educated him, yeah. to his two mothers who loved, nurtured, and raised him. And even in, in, in its own unique way, he, he reflected his father's strength and work ethic, uh, and the, uh, he inherited his father's political stance and being anti-slavery, which uh, uh, from the very beginning his father was against. 
Yeah, and that go- and again, you know, to your point, uh, AJ, going back to uh, the performance by Jason Clark as his father, and I don't not going to give uh, too much away in the film, but it's wonderful to see the arc of his character in this film and understand. You know, it was just it's it's just a it's wonderful uh, part of it. Now, um, I think it's fair to say that the film uh, is is a film that's told in in brushstrokes. Scenes aren't necessarily played out the way we traditionally see films um, play out. You know, beginning, middle, end. There there are snippets of things that are happening, and I love this style of filmmaking. I know that many people refer to Terrence Malick, and he's a producer on this film, and sort of the it's a look that we've seen in his films. I just love this because I think that films are impressionistic anyway. We come away with bits and pieces that we remember from watching movies and life itself is that way and I I am heartened to see uh, such an accomplished version of this in your film uh, The Better Angels. Um what was it that draws you to that particular uh way of telling a story? Well, I think the kind of yeah, as you say the episodic fragmentary style um, uh, attracted me uh, also just as an editor uh, a lot of my experiences in post-production and um, during the shooting of this picture we tended to avoid coverage you know the the wide shot middle shot close-up and then fall into shot reverse shot mm-hmm. and so any given scene is based on essentially five shots that you bounce back and forth between like a documentary, we descended on scenes and moments, following them as they unfolded. No blocking and no coverage. Therefore, things were mostly done in oneers. Mm. And with the absence of a match cut, which coverage provides, we are then forced into jump cuts, like any documentary is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the ellipses is purely mechanical, just based on the approach to production. So it's not as much aesthetic and artistic as it is. That was the way that we shot it, which forces one's hand in the editing room. But I happen to like the way the hand is forced, because it leads to a more kinetic, spontaneous experience of the story. What What are the challenges as a director when you're on set, and this is what you, how you're going to be proceeding when you're shooting a scene? What sort of challenges are you faced with when, when, I mean, is it all in the setup? Is it all, are you blocking or what, what sort of latitude are you giving your, your performers when you're shooting something like this? When you're shooting in this way, I think the question is less, what are the challenges, but more, what are the freedoms and the gains to it? I would find shooting with traditional coverage, blocking and setups much more challenging because it's like following a math problem and trying to fit yourself into a cookie-cutter scheme. This allows the actors greater freedom in that the takes are more continuous, like on a stage where they can discover more, feel more, improvise more, which they enjoy. It also gives the cameraman greater mobility uh, uh, to achieve many more shots. Uh, It feels more lifelike overall, the way that Life isn't contained to a 90-degree angle, and everything behind it is the crew. Life is 360, and, and we're, we're going this way and that. There's no shot-reverse shot in life. It's all usually, a, you know, has a unit perspective to it because there's oneness mm-hmm. uh, just in the way we perceive the world, meaning from ourselves. So subjectivity and the experientialism that's achieved is, uh, is so unique. People 
attributed obviously to one style, but uh, you know, it's uh, to me there there are many more films that, that that use it other than the ones that are cited, and that's um, that's what we were going for. You know, like Chris Marker's editorial style is sometimes similar to that in my head, or Tarkovsky's Mirror, mm-hmm. or um, uh, even Wings of Desire. You know, that Vin Vendor's picture has a very free associative feeling to it. Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you a couple more examples, and they may seem a little out there, but in terms of just, uh, you know, that kind of kinetic uh, style that you're talking about, I would even put um, some of Harmony, uh, Harmony Corrine's, um, I would put um, Julian Donkey Boy very much in that. Now, it's, it's, it's a much more radical version of that. And also, a couple of years ago, there was a film by Azeel Norton called uh, Redlands. Very similar story about the early days, the, the Western days, but very similar in in the way that you're describing, the way that uh, the Better Angels feels to me as well. So you're right, there are a lot of a lot of different versions of of what you're describing and what what we see in Better Angels, uh, the Better Angels. Um, so just I want to give some, um, some credit or uh, some recognition here to the uh, director of photography. That would be Matthew J. Lloyd. Uh, so, did on set did did you find yourself sort of chasing the actors in certain scenes because they're exploring sort of the the you know the 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 spaces in the scene or what was it? were were those kind of challenges involved or did you just roll with it how how did that go with the boys and girls the Lincoln children it was definitely a matter of keeping up and. Matthew Lloyd and then Steadicam operator Dana Morris were definitely up to the task. Okay. And uh, the film may have a rushing quality to it because of the energy that those kids provided. They weren't actors. Uh, they weren't tried to artificially reproduce something that Matt and I had in our heads mm-hmm. that we insisted that they depict. Rather, we were there to capture their own naturalism, their own uh, imagination and spontaneity, and to move at the rhythm that ten-year-old children do, uh, which is very much free form, yeah. and uh, uh, Lloyd's work is so natural and um, and lovely, and he is very experienced in black and white cinematography, so he was a perfect pairing for the film. Yeah, I, I it sounds sounds to me um, like you really create a certain environment on set that it's that makes all of this a holistic part of the way you go about doing doing your work. Would that be fair to say? I think so. I think it's one of kind of endlessly shooting and avoiding takes and setups and lots of crew and instead uh, trying to capture life on the wing and as it actually happens and uh, get rid of the confines of what a set feels like as much as possible because mm-hmm. sets are very claustrophobic and uh, mm-hmm. lead to a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo, so to get rid of as much of the artifice and all the equipment around, and to me, is the goal, and to make it more about uh, the people and the place. Yeah, I, I, it it, uh, it definitely feels that way. By the way, I remind our listeners, speaking with A.J. Edwards, he's the director and writer of the film The Better Angels. It opens today at the uh, New Art Theater in Los Angeles, as well as the Sunshine Theaters in New York and we'll be rolling out across the country. After that, you can go to the website, which I'm just going to pull up here. It's called betterangelsfilm.com to find out more about all of that stuff. 
Um, and just a last uh, minute or two that we have with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the acting, which I, we've talked about, and it's, it is superb across the board. Everyone is so good in this film. Um, what sort of Again, you know, sort of from the the interaction between you as a director and the and the actors in the film, and you're trying to capture very much an up close and personal view of what they're doing. What sort of challenges did you find, or did the actors talk to you about when they were talking about putting you know their character t- together, putting uh, what it was going to be like? Uh, does that factor in in terms of how you're shooting them or? Their preparation is there is there a, a sort of that interactive uh, between you and them in terms of how they're going to uh, perform in a particular scene? I'm, the reason I'm, I'm just sort of fascinated with this because we don't see this very often in films. Your style, so I'm just curious if that presents. A, you seem to see them as opportunities, and I like that. But is how is that for you and an actor working together in this sort of an environment? Well, I think it was to provide them from the start with as many uh, cinematic and photographic inspirations as possible so that they could understand what the vision was, also musically, mm-hmm. and then also to make sure that they knew their history, to provide them with as much background about the characters they were depicting as possible uh, through the different books that were essential to the film. And some people we knew a lot more about than others. Mm-hmm. For example, you know a lot more about Thomas Lincoln than Nancy. Nancy is much more ghostly. Mm-hmm. But uh, in addition, that was my role, but what I found myself mostly doing was admiring all that they had prepared on their own, all that they had studied and imagined, how much they brought to the table. And one thing that they did was each of them in their own way develop a rapport with the children. Since the children are the center of the film, they each had to have a rapport and a relationship with those boys and girls. Some are positive, some are negative. For example, Jason really kept a distance from Brayden mm-hmm. and let Brayden know that this is not about smiles and fun. And Jason would keep that relationship on set, whereas Wes would be constantly talking with Brayden, who plays Abraham Lincoln. He would be talking with him in between takes and trying to uh, trying to open up Brayden in his own wise parental way. Um, to tease confidence out of him. And then the women did it too. Diane and Britt uh, were brilliant in how they established a bond and a connection that's apparent in the final result of the film. Well, and, and, I, and as we close, um, I, I, I have to say that Brennan was, I mean, first of all, you, you pick someone who physically you can see Lincoln in him, and then the second thing, he's just wonderful. He's just a very, seems to be a very intuitive uh, actor in terms of the way he, he, he moves in, 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 he, uh, in his role. And Diane Kruger is just spectacular in this film. I mean, they're all good. I keep saying that. But she is just, uh, she just really, and not through a lot of dialogue. Again, none of these characters have a lot of dialogue. But through, uh, through her, the, her movement and through her interaction with uh, young Abe, just gives a magnificent performance. Really, really good. So, congratulations. Well, yeah, she, she's spectacular, a lovely person, and a, and a great actress. Well, congratulations so much on, on the film, uh, The Better Angels. Um, and you can go, as I said, you can go to uh, betterangelsfilm.com to find out more about it. And uh, A.J. Edwards, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being a part of film school. You're very kind, and thank you for this opportunity. Take care. You too, AJ. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 